business and people, your host, Walt Bayless. Let's get this show started. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Business and People podcast. We talk about business and then we talk about the people behind the business and we find out what makes them tick and how they got to where they are, lessons learned along the way. Now, speaking of lessons, our guest on the show today is the best-selling author of The Leader Habit. His work has been featured in Forbes magazine, Fast Company. He's the CEO and founder of Pinsight, the AI learning platform that really helps leadership and leadership development. Now, the client list for Pinsight reads like the who's who of the Fortune 500 with motor groups like Nissan and Honda, with American Airlines, T-Mobile, Citigroup, Little Coca-Cola, in fact, Martin's work has been featured and focused all around the globe in terms of leadership, and he's joining us right here on the show to talk about his best-selling book, not only The Leader Habit, but the others he's written as well, and of course, Pinsight and how all that came together. Martin Lanick, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Wow, it's so impressive to see this. Now, I'm, I'm reading back through. You started off uh, in Denver, Colorado, Colorado State. You've gone on now to have a master's degree in, in organizational leadership and, of course, founding Pinsight, the leading AI leadership platform in the world and with clients, as I just read off, that is just, you know, ticking the boxes of the top Fortune 500. How did this all come together for you? Oh, that's a very good question. You know, and I have to think back. I, I started on this journey about... 12 years ago now, and um, I went to graduate school, obviously, to become a psychologist, and that's what, what happened. Uh, I started undergrad, and um, I fell in love with psychology, but then decided that clinical was not really the way to go, so I started exploring where is there a different option and came across uh, industrial psychology. Um, and it's in the U.S., I think, a couple of years ago, is one of the fastest-growing uh, jobs in, wow. in the U.S. to be an industrial psychologist. And um, then, you know, from graduate studies, I ended up working as a consultant. I got a job and, uh, you know, here in the U.S., then they shipped me overseas. I was based in London for a while and uh, worked with some of the world's biggest companies, helping them design executive assessment and development programs. And then the recession came. So wow. this is now, what, about 2008? And um, you know, I realized that um, back then we were charging ten up to forty thousand U.S. dollars for a single executive assessment. Mm. Um, so I realized that okay, companies are not going to be spending this kind of money on assessment anymore. You know, HR development budgets are usually the first ones to get cut. Yeah, sure. So I thought, <laughs> you know, this is a this is an entrepreneurial opportunity here and. Back then, we were doing everything by hand. So probably some of your listeners, if they have gone through an executive assessment, they know that you kind of go to the office of the psychologist or the consultant, you sit down, and everything is done face-to-face. Super manual, crazy process, right? So I thought, well, there are so many inefficiencies here. We can actually build software. Well, first of all, move the whole thing online so you don't even have to travel anywhere, and then streamline the processes and start using behavioral science, machine learning, AI, um, so that uh, we are cutting down the, all the human components, but then preserving the components that are really most productive. So wow. that's, it was really a combination. You know, a lot of, and, and the funny thing is, some of the listeners might appreciate it, that, uh, you know, um, I was fairly, fairly green, you know, when I started this, this business uh, 12 years ago. And um, many people were telling me that, oh, you know, it's in the middle of the recession. You should never <laughs> start a business in the middle of the recession. This is the best, uh, this is the worst decision you've ever made. Um, 
But then when you think about it, like when the economy is low and everything is down, the only way that your business can go is up True. from there, right? There is, you cannot go any, cannot get any worse than we experienced in 2007, 2008. So anyway, so that, that was the beginning. And that's really so combination of education and then um, getting the work experience and then really finding the, the right opportunity. Um, and, and that's how I got where I'm, where I'm today. So when when you taking going back to that two thousand and eight position, you, you're you're working with a, a big company in London who are doing executive uh, recruitment or executive assessment, mm-hmm. and you know as you said, they're spending ten to forty thousand dollars. We can see the value of choosing the right people for the roles as companies are growing. We can also see the destructive value of choosing the wrong person. So we know oh, categorically how important it is to have that leadership assessment in place. So now you, you're saying to yourself, wow. People are going to cut back on their spending. Obviously, the, you know, my, my role here is Rocky. I know what I'll do. I'll go out on my own. How did you go from the guy who's working with a big company to start being a startup founder of a tech company that's now using AI and influencing the, the – I mean, take me back to the actual days and weeks of did you just go, let's code some stuff together and see what happens, or did you get a team around you? How did that all work? Yeah, good question. So first, I got a job uh, as a junk faculty uh, at, a, at a university here. So that's how I could pay my housing and my, you know, basic. Because you're right, right? This this kind of stuff is not easy. Yeah. Um. Um. So so that was kind of the first step. Was like let's let's kind of stabilize my life situation, and I did mm-hmm. that. Um. So I was teaching, you know, classes in statistics and psychology and whatnot. Um. And then I started experimenting. So I have created the first version of, of our assessment platform that was basically um, like an inbox email type of shell. Mm-hmm. And then I would have people actually send standardized email messages to whoever fake address was on the other end. Right? And this was like the, this was even before the MVP. So this right. was the absolute basic test of, of the concept, you know, is this even possible? Can we do it? And then from there, step by step, start growing, growing the business. Wow. Um, so we got the first client that was actually doing this. Then we got a second client. And then once we started bringing some money in, um, then invested in hiring a team, IT team offshore. Wow. Uh, I was actually born in Slovakia back then, Czechoslovakia. So I spoke the language, knew the culture. I was about third of what I would pay. Uh, developers here in the states, so we moved. Uh, we moved IT overseas, and then start building a team over there, and then slowly start building the the platform from there. Wow! Um, and then it went through several iterations. Everything was fl- funded from internal cash flows, um, and then a few, probably five years ago or so, when when it felt like okay, we got the product pretty stable. Um, we have a we have a good understanding of the market. Like this could really be something. Uh, that's when we raise money to then invest in sales, marketing, and wow. then start growing the business more, um, uh, more aggressively. Wow! So when you're when you're teaching, you're back you're back in the states. You're teaching, as you said, just to stabilize, just to get everything going. You're building a, you're not even an MVP, but a, a proof of concept, I guess. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. You know, the business people are emailing, as you said, to random email address to see if if we're going to have something here. You get your first client. Did you ever feel did you know or did you expect or did you completely not believe that you can be in the position that you're in right now? 
Well, I think everybody dreams about it, right? It it is so the heartache. I I keep telling people, you know, starting a business, it's really hard. Um, It is harder than anything I have ever experienced uh, in my life. And I think a lot of the entrepreneurs that are listening would agree. This is not easy. If this was easy, anybody would do it. Um, You look at the stats, right? About what 80% of new businesses fail in their first year is really hard. Um, so, um, I think what keeps, at least what kept me going is this, um, this belief that really, you know, we could change the world and this could really be something our, you know, our internal mission as an organization. So we don't do these, um, these assessments just for the sake of it. What what we're really passionate about is fairness. Mm -hmm. So we want to make sure that we are helping um, organizations and hiring managers to make the right decision mm. and to fight these unconscious biases that all of us have. Yeah, um, definitely. When you look at some of the research, um, you know, men are so much more frequently identified as having leadership potential than equally, sometimes more capable women, just yeah. because those are the stereotypes that we have. So it's really, it was this, this mission and then this belief that we could really change the world, we could make a difference here that uh, kept me going and I think the, the, the whole organization going uh, from now on. How did you feel with the, the, uh, the fundraising, with the money raising round? Um, was that a nerve-wracking experience for you? Um, not really. So what ended up happening is so by that point, I mean, I'm already five, seven years into the business. You know, everything has been grown. I mean, very much on a shoestring, right, organically from cash flows. Uh, but we were expanding internationally. So by that point, we already had partners or resellers around the world uh, that were our strategic partners, and they translated our solutions and they were offering them in their market. And for the most part, those are the individuals that actually became the investors. Wow. Um, because we are, exactly. We, they, we already had a business relationship. They knew our market. We are operating in a, in a very niche market. Yeah, uh, that is highly specialized, and um, a lot of people, you know, where this is not real estate, or this is not right. So, yeah. so if you if you're not in this market, it's very difficult to even uh, if, believe even that it exists. Any decision, yeah. Yeah, yeah, or that exists exactly. So that was the benefit um, that we we put a lot of I put a lot of work in planning and preparing the business plan, and you know, all of our projections, making sure they was all solid, um, and then when we went to market. Um, and it was fairly easy. It only took a few months and there were actually more money on the table than we wanted to raise. So we ended up um, doing a second round right after that. Wow. Fantastic. Congratulations. I, I'm, yeah, I really you. want to dig into the leader habit and, and the, the way that you've broken mm-hmm. it down into five minute uh, steps that people can weave throughout their day. I really want to dig into that. And of course, into Pinsight, but can I just stay on the business side of yeah. things just for one second, as sure. you've gone through the academics and, and you know, the working environment of working the big corporate and all of the things that we've talked to up until now, what did you, feel like you had to learn that you were surprised by? What, what were you like, oh, my God, I didn't even realize that this was something that was going to come across my desk? I think the biggest aha moment was when I started putting financial projections and like a three- to five-year business plan. Wow. So um, as a scientist, um, you know, I, I was trained for 10 years <laughs> that I was in school, um, right, that everything has to be on uh, – every, every decision you make has to be based on data. Mm-hmm. So classic scientific model, right? It's like you, you look for previous research, everything is data-based, there is evidence. 
And then all of a sudden you get to financial projections for the, the business, like three to five years now. And to me, when I, I hired a, uh, a financial advisor, a consultant to help me with that, but to me, it was like making stuff up from thin air. <laughs> you know? All of a sudden, how, how much revenue are we going to make next year? So, okay, well, so we will give um, salespeople the goal of half a million dollars a year. So if we hire three of them, that's $1.5 million. It doesn't work like that. Yeah, it sounds great, but it doesn't work like that. So, so for me, it was, um, you know, trying to find the, the happy medium for what's my comfort zone with, you know, how much evidence I need to make a decision versus, um, you know, just really making stuff up. Yeah. Actually, do you know, Martin, I was reading not so very long ago, I'd be fascinated on your thoughts on this, that after a certain point of information, and I think the, the measure was the 80-20 rule, but after you have 80% of the information, the remaining 20% is not going to influence you in either way. At some point, you need to actually act on the, the data that you have in front of you. How do you feel with that one? Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to. I think my problem was that, you know, when you are building a financial, when you're predicting future of a company that has a history of two years, there is no way, you know, all the investors, like, how do you, you, you know that you need to come up with the hockey stick, right? right? Like, how do you do it? Yeah. And the best, you know, you can do is just, you know, sit down and say, well, these are the assumptions I'm making. And then you just end up with a long list of assumptions. And then voila, at the end yeah. of your analysis, there's the hockey stick that you need to show investors. Perfect. <laughs> you just keep adding that 10% as, you, yeah. as you're moving along the graph. and just yeah, yeah, yeah. So Martin, as you're looking, your, your experience and then getting into leadership, uh, and I, I'm reading here directly from the side, but it says um, that Forbes magazine described your work as an interesting analysis of the troubling problem of the millions of dollars that had already been spent on executive training and development that seemed to have such little effect. I liked that. But it was more succinctly put by 800 CEO Reed, which said Lanik, yourself, Martin Lanik's method works where other training programs fail. How did you come up with the work behind your, your best-selling book, The Leader Habit? How did, you, how did you start to formulate the relationship between the habits and leadership and how that can be developed and worked with individuals and with companies? Yeah, great question. I think it was uh, it really came uh, came out of frustration uh, with what was happening out there and what I've been seeing uh, happening in, in the market. So when you um, you know any kind of leadership development program or any kind of discussion on oh I need to change this or I I wish I knew how to better delegate, the first answer that people g- give you is is go read this book or or go mm-hmm. take a class. Right, that's our immediate. And there's this underlying assumption that if you get knowledge in a particular area, all of a sudden it changes your skill. Right. But that, that's, that's not true. Mm. You know, I, used, I used to actually, when I first started college, I was going to be a concert pianist. Um, and that's when my parents had an intervention. Anyway, that's a whole different story. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a different podcast. <laughs> that's, that's a whole different podcast, yeah. Uh, so um, the, the, the way that music uh, education is structured is that you do have the music theory. You learn how to you know, read notes. You learn about the, 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 the models and all of that. But then you also have your lessons on the piano or the violin or drums or whatever you're playing. Practical. And that's when you're actually practicing the skill and you're honing the skill and you're doing this over and over. That's the part that seems to be missing from majority of the leadership development programs when you think about it. Yeah. Right? Like you read a book and then what happens? Well, you learn something, but 
does it really change your behavior? No. You go to a class or you listen to podcasts or, you know, whatever it is that you're doing, you think, oh, this is fascinating, interesting stuff. And then you wake up tomorrow, no change. Wow. So, so I start then thinking, well, are there some behaviors that, that we do regularly? And, um, you know, can we think of leadership as really these ingrained habits? Because wow. we all already act a certain way, right? There is a way how you um, give feedback to your employees. There is a way how you are interacting with your board or how you're putting a strategy uh, together, how you're putting a business plan together. So you already have habits and some of those are more effective, others are less effective mm -hmm. right? because you do, you have certain behaviors, leadership behaviors that you do automatically, you do them without thinking. Those, that's the definition of a habit. So then I started uh, thinking and, and that's where our research uh, came into play where we try to identify well, what are really these behaviors of effective leaders. So what does it really look like when effective leader delegates? Mm -hmm. What are the steps that they go through? And then the next question, well, now that we have identified these micro behaviors, how can we help people to internalize these micro behaviors so they don't need to read books or, you know, they actually can start practicing. Wow. Uh, and that's how the idea for the leader habit came about. So it's not, uh, it's not so much about, uh, okay, so you've been doing things wrong all these years and here's a sledgehammer to try and move you back across to a different course. It's taking, again, the music practice um, analogy into effect. It's learning something and trying it a little bit. It's trying that a little bit and again and again and again. It's doing that same, you know, scale from C to C again and again and again. So it, it, it is small micro movements towards better leadership. Is that kind of... That's exactly it. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But it's the practice and that's really the key point, right? So, so in the book, to me, the biggest value in the book is, um, the, the leadership exercises, the leadership exercises that anybody can do. Yeah. We did research. We spent five years going around the world. We uh, studied about 800 managers, executives. And then based on this research, we're able to identify what are the key leadership skills. There's 22 mm. of them. They break down to 79 different micro behaviors. And then we wrote daily exercises for each one of these 79 micro behaviors. Wow. So that based on, you know, what you need to work on, whether it's delegation, communication, public speaking, being more charismatic, influencing others, creating buy-in, delegating, um, planning and organizing, uh, strategic thinking, all of this, there are daily exercises to help you actually build habits, effective habits. In these wow. Areas. So is the book formulated in such a way that you can flick to page 37 because you're struggling with communication, for example, and you can just put, start to put those habits into practice because that's the area that you need to work on and then you can move to a different bit in the book and focus there? It's not a start yeah. like it's a, okay, I need help in this particular area. It's a manual. Wow, it's it's written as a manual. So you have kind of the the um, you know that that prose uh, in few chapters of the logic. You know why habits, why leadership habits. How do you how do we come to the point where we are able to identify this catalog, and then you get a catalog of these daily exercises. Fantastic. That you can do. So Fantastic. it can help you develop your own skills, but then also as a manager, you know how often. Do employees come to us and say, or you come to employees and say, you really need to work on your communication or your influence. Uh, so rather than just saying, hey, go read this book or um, go, you know, take this class or e-learning, um, here is a, an exercise uh, that okay. they can start practicing and you can start seeing the behavior change. No wonder it turned into a bestseller. That's, that's fantastic. I, I love yeah, it. Thank you. And you've got yeah. a few other books there as well, 
No, this is it. Yeah, this was my first book. Yeah, first and only book. Fantastic, fantastic. Do you still uh, you still seeing sales of that going through every day? I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. yeah. Hopefully, it we can came... get a few from the from the podcast. So, guys, go and buy Mun's book. It's called <laughs> "Keep Him in the Lifestyle." Yeah, yeah. It's uh, thank you. Um, it uh, was the number one new business book in China when the uh, Chinese uh, translation came out end of last or uh, no, beginning of last year, wow. and then slowly I think it came out in Russia and Vietnam and you know. Fantastic. Now, now all the different translations are coming. So, out. are your parents happy now that that the intervention and the piano thing? And they have they read the book and. You know, have you yes. given a copy? Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're saying, but you see, you should have listened to us. A good thing you listened to us. Nice, nice. It's nice to uh, have that certification that you've done that part. Yeah. But now, yeah. as you transition to, into Pinsight, which came first, the book or the, or the software? Um, the software, yeah. Okay. The software came first, yes. Um, well, the assessment software, right? So, so that's what I've been talking about. That's the ability to assess leadership skills and help companies make promotion, hiring, succession planning decisions. But then, um, kind of the, the other part of, of the book and, and how that came about was our clients um, were coming back in and saying, well, we got all this data on our employees and now we have all these classes and books that we can ship them off to to actually help them change. And that's when I said, well, you know, can we do that? <laughs> can we develop something that's going to maybe more helpful, more effective? Can we now take the assessment data and then turn it into a development program Fantastic. so that focuses on the behavior change, right? And that that's so the research that went into that product was the book, and then. Um, we have a software application, an app that now took all these concepts from the book and scaled that across an organization. And so now you can send leaders through an assessment and then uh, this app is using artificial intelligence. It reads your assessment results and based on that puts a development plan for you. And on a daily basis, it sends exercises to you. And then it knows, well, as you are, as you are working with it, right, it knows how much you have improved uh, based on artificial intelligence, how you are wow. interacting. So it kind of becomes like a Fitbit for leadership development. Wow, how amazing. And that's a great, that's a great tagline as well, like a Fitbit for leadership development. You can see your steps. You, know, you yeah. can see where you need to, to brush up. You can work it through. So I'm looking at the, uh, the dashboard at the moment uh, mm. of Pinsight, and I, I love the, the kind of uh, benchmarks that you're putting into place you know, mm-hmm. where you're looking at succession and you're looking at skill gaps, personality traits, learning agility, leadership competencies. So taking people through the program with Pinsight – can I ask you, Martin, when, when do you prefer to get involved with a company? Do you prefer to get involved? We have a good executive team and we're kind of growing and we're, you know, we want to grow to the next level. Or do you prefer the startup who is, um, you know, we want to make sure we do things right from the beginning? Or like when should somebody come to Pinsight and say, let's grow our team and grow our business as a result? Yeah, um, great question. So usually um, we get plugged into big strategic initiatives. Um, so example, a new CEO comes on board mm-hmm. and says, um, we need to turn this ship. And in order to turn this ship, we first got to understand, well, what's my leadership talent? Yep. What am I working with here? Right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we run assessments uh, based on that, determine you know, what's the bench strength, um, what, where, are the, where are the gaps, and then align it to the strategy of the business to help first, based on the assessment, make decisions, well, who are the right people who should stay on the bus, who should be the ones that should be developed, and then who are the people that, um, you know, unfortunately, uh, with the new direction, uh, this is not not the right place for them. 
Yeah. Um, uh, so that's usually the first decision. And then from there, uh, the development program helps to align the leadership behaviors that we now need um, with the strategy of the business. Wow. So let's say that you are looking to, um, you know, now a lot of CEOs are worried about retention, right? Yeah. So we know specifically, like, what is it? What are the leadership behaviors that help you retain talent? Um, and then, of course, there are slight differences from organizational culture to organizational culture. But, you know, gener- uh, we know in general what, what these things are. So you could start training your leaders on these behaviors and through the app actually monitoring as they are improving and changing their behavior. So they are retaining more and more talent underneath. Um, and then you can start using this also in the hiring process. So now all those you know, people who you decided that, that they're not the right fit for the new direction. So now you need to replace them. And you would use the assessment to start bringing new talent in from the outside. Wow. That is now much more likely. So you're not just shooting in the dark, so like an interview. Oh, I think they're going to be okay retaining their, their people. Now you're, you're using science to actually do that. Wow. Tell me a story. So is there um, a client without giving away anybody's secrets mm-hmm. or names or brands or anything like that? Tell me a story about a, a company to, that you've worked with where um, you took the executive team or took the leadership team and you were able to subtly move that direction to a, to a result. Like, tell me a story about the... Sure. Um, so so um, I'll in, in the U.S. right now, a, a lot of organizations are going through a digital transformation. Um, and, uh, well, I think all around the world, but healthcare in particular is experiencing a lot of digital transformation here in the U.S. So we're moving to, um, you know, online kind of consultations with physicians. So virtual medicine is on the rise. Um, there are new demands of, of um, the, the customer base there. So we're working with uh, a large uh, healthcare system that is, um, you know, a couple billion dollars. In, in revenue. And um, as the new CEO came on board, she said, well, we need to, we are not prepared for this. And we need to really invest in um, new leadership behaviors um, in order to, um, to be competitive and to um, adapt to this uh, digital transformation. So um, we started working with them a couple of years ago. First, we helped them identify what are really the core leadership skills. So given the future, right, what are the five or six, six competencies that every single leader in the organization needs to have? Then we designed an assessment put 700 leaders across the entire organization from the top executive all the way to frontline managers. Um, You know, this would be like nurse managers, charge nurses. So all the way down, everybody goes through the assessment, gets feedback, and then starts on the application so that all everybody's moving in the same direction in terms of uh, their, their leadership skills. Wow. That's Um, yeah. So it's a, it's a massive, as you can imagine, you know, this is a multi-year project. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's wonderful to see some of the early acceptance and changes and how the culture of the organization is shifting. And, um, you know, they're one of their biggest problems was accountability and innovation. So how they are starting to see more and more accountability come into play. And then um, um, that, of course, makes, makes it easier for them to implement some of the strategies that they need to in time. I find it fascinating that, that an organization of that size with a new CEO who has the vision of what's coming and, and looks at where they're at and says, we need to move. And this started two years ago. So she was obviously 
had a, had a clear enough vision of what's happening in the industry to gather the troops and say, if we stand still, we're, we're going to be done. This is where we need to move the, the whole organization. And you've put 700 leaders through that program. Martin, at the beginning, was there, was there pushback from a percentage of that 700? Was there a, a set in the ways kind of um, banners up and, you know, defensive uh, in amongst that? Or did the whole team say, yes, let's go? No, that's a that's a very good question. So when you think about it, what any time you bring in an assessment, there's going to be resistance because every manager likes to think that they know best. Sure. Right? I know my talent or I know how to pick the right people because I've done it for so many years and that's what got me successful. And that's all great. And some people are really, some managers are really better than others. The problem for any organization is that you need to standardize this. Mm. And so if every manager is using different criteria, Mm -hmm. that's when you have a problem. So with standardization comes resistance because some people, you know, you're you're taking something away from them. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that's generally what what produces that resistance. But um, you need that level of standardization because otherwise, you know, you cannot... You, you cannot make better decisions if everybody is using different criteria. Then you cannot move the entire organization. In no, definitely. The wheels, are, the wheels are turning in different directions. You know, there's yeah, yeah. no kind of unity there. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if it was part of, of the, the Pinsight crew that were handling that change management or if it was internally at the, at the health organization. But how, if, if you know, how did they, how did they get that buy-in from, from the resistant people? Was it just a matter of, keep bashing at the wall until they, until they go through and accept it? Or, you know, was there a process that went through to help people uh, accept that uh, assessment and standardization? Yeah, it's a long, long process. So we started, we started with uh, from basically from day one. So I said, you know, first project was to identify what are the success criteria, right? Like what are the five, six competencies? So we, heard from everybody in the organization. So every leader got an opportunity to either participate in an interview or focus group or fill out a survey. Yeah. Um, so you start, you start from day one, right? Because if it's your ideas, if, you know, this is what we are not coming in with our seven criteria. This is your criteria that you told us. Right? So, yeah, so, so it's a whole change management project. So that would be the first one, right? So you build the solution for the client. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you set it in the context of the organization. That's number one. The number two is you start from the top. So it was the CEO and her executive team who were the first ones to go through an assessment yep. and got feedback. And, you know, some of it was harsh and others, uh, uh, some, they of course had some strengths, but uh, they were, they modeled the acceptance of it. Wow. Um, and, well, and that's, that's where public or were they kept private? Pardon? Were the results of that executive team, the C team, were they were they publicized was, or were no, they no, yeah, private, right? Because yeah, okay. they, yeah, because yeah. otherwise there would be dissension. I guess there would be, you know, yeah. mockery, yeah. and that would make it even harder. Yeah, okay, interesting. Yeah. Wow, Martin, what what do you think is um, what do you think is not spoken about in terms of leadership enough? I think um, so. So here, here's how I'm, I'm going to answer your question, right? So leadership and any sort of leadership development or discussions are ultimately about change, right? We are either trying to change ourselves or as consultants, we're trying to change others. So it's about change. Uh, a lot of the leadership stuff I see out there is uh, about ideals, 
right? So you have to know your why behind success and, you know, all these kind of great ideas of understanding your values and your mission and, and all of that. Um, as a psychologist, you know, I always think that there are two paths to change of any kind in humans. You can either start with the mind or you can start with the behavior, but these are related. So if you change somebody's mind, their behavior is going to change as a result of that. You know, so you start, you start changing how you view yourself, your behavior follows. The other path is change somebody's behavior and they change their mind in terms of how they view themselves. Wow. It's much easier to change your behavior than it is, or anybody's behavior, than to change somebody's mind. So I would encourage all of us to stop thinking about leadership as something, you know, a big concept, but rather start thinking about it like, what are, what, how can we break this down? So what are actually the, the small behaviors that distinguish effective leaders from less effective leaders? Um, and if we can do more research in this area and really put more investment in how to help people internalize these behaviors, I think that's really a, a much easier path forward. Um, and then all those grand ideas about leadership will follow. And I would say focus on the behavior. So this is uh, obviously the, C, the, the, the leadership habit, the, the, the essence of the book that you've written. Mm -hmm. I, can, I can completely hear what you're saying in terms of changing someone's minds or their ideals or their, their beliefs or whatever, you could spend a lifetime battering against that wall and, and not have any productivity. But if you can simply put a framework in place and say, okay, as an example, and this may be a crazy, stupid example, this is a great way to do delegation. This is a good step-by-step -step process for delegating a task. And that is an easy thing to, to put into practice rather than trying to change somebody's perspective about why they should delegate or, you know, what the process of delegation is meaning and all that kind of stuff. It, it literally, if you can put it in terms of a doing behavioral process, then it becomes a, a much easier thing to integrate than the, the beliefs behind it. I see that completely. But the beliefs follow. They are, they are interconnected, right? So the mind and behavior. Yeah, yeah. So then you get better at delegating and you realize, oh, I must... I am good at delegating. I I'm must be delegator. a really good leader. <laughs> and then, right, so you, you change your, your attitudes and your beliefs as a result of that. Yeah. Fantastic. It's and just much easier path to change. I, I was seeing that um, uh, you, you mentioned there was 79 micro habits in the, the leader habits. Yes. 79, okay. 79. So, guys, go and get the leader habit, okay, from, uh, from Martin Lanik. And whatever you do, just go through and start to use it, as we said, as a manual. Um, develop that skill. Can, can anybody put those leadership practices into place, Martin? Have you worked with anybody that, that is, is so far out of the, what we would call the square that, that some of these processes just simply don't exist for them? Or is there something there for everyone? Anybody can do it, but it's sort of like a treadmill. You know, I can... I can place a treadmill in your living room and it could just stand there and you'll never use it. So this is a tool. But at the end of the day, you know, if people don't use it and don't practice, then there's not going to be any change. As right. A result of that. I understand. It's that, um, it's that joke, isn't it? How many psychologists does it take to change a light bulb? Only one, <laughs> but the light bulb has to want to change, you know? Exactly. So true. Yes. Absolutely. Martin Lennick is the incredible mind behind Pinsight and, of course, uh, the author of The Leader Habit. 
Um, Martin, thank you so much for the opportunity to come and bounce around with you. I think that the development of leadership skill from anywhere from, uh, you know, the school school age right through into uh, early adulthood, into leadership roles in the corporate space, I think is such an important um, role to play. And the work that you've put in with the Leader Habit and, of course, with Pinsight as well um, is really giving a solid toolkit for people to to effectively improve that area and i think that's an amazing position that that uh, that you've created again thank you so much i'll make sure that the links to pinsight people can go and do an assessment with pinsight they can start to see where their strengths are in the leadership and then of course work with the app behind that to integrate some of the habits to help them become more effective in the leadership areas that they uh, that they can brush up on martin again thank you so much for the opportunity to to bounce back and forth with you uh, i so look forward to keeping in touch and um we'll make sure that we send as many people your way as we possibly can and help that leadership realm that next level coming through with you as well thank you so much i appreciate you having me cheers wow i'm i'm in awe thank you man i really appreciate your time oh thank you this is good it's always I'm, fun I, i'm so fascinated by by what you've built here um you'll you'll see my you'll see my application come through like <laughs> you'll see my <laughs> well I, i'm so impressed man honestly like thank you what you've put together something that i didn't dig into and and uh mm. Uh, I did mean to actually was your was your focus on um, fairness, uh, and it actually mm. was still recording, so we might have this as a pre. A pre- okay. So when when you're talking about fairness in terms of the assessment, and you know we look at the equality of people now, and and we look at um, it should be the best leader for the position. It should be the best person, not based on skill or gender or you know uh, sorry not skill but gender or background or anything like that. When did your uh, when did your focus on fairness start to come in? Because as you've built Pinsight, I'm guessing that you started with that assessment tool and then mm-hmm. you've, you've built in the app behind it and the habits. When did you start to go, hang on, let's make sure that this is all about equality and fairness? I think that's, that's sort of, <laughs> that's why you do it. Right. right? Like why else, why else would, would you need an assessment? On, on people. So it's really, when you think about it, you know, and I know I've, I've made so many bad hiring decisions you know, as an entrepreneur and manager myself that you realize that, you know, you, I, I don't trust my gut okay. um, anymore on there this. And I want, right. Like I want data. Yeah. 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 I, I want data. And our research shows we just completed a, a big research study with Purdue University and George Mason University where we um, uh, helped organ- or where, where we studied how organizations identified the next generation of leaders. Yeah. You know, now with the war for talent, uh, tied labor markets, organizations are not so much hiring leadership talent from outside. They are searching inside. You know? So they are, managers are rating the employees in terms of who has leadership potential, who doesn't have leadership potential. And the level of bias was really astonishing. Wow. Um, so you, we found, for example, that managers are three times, three times more likely to identify men as having leadership potential than women. Wow. Based on nothing else, just the gender. And they are two times more likely to identify white men as opposed to black men um, as having leadership potential. So then this, you know, it becomes a self, uh, self-fulfilling prophecy. So if um, me as a manager, right, if I believe that you have leadership potential, I will unconsciously start giving you extra assignments, coaching, you know, yes. a network you through the organization, start making introductions for you and so forth. 
And there might be equally, maybe even more capable person on the team who is a woman or who is a, a person of African descent. But just because they don't fit my stereotype of what a leader should look like. And I'm getting the opportunity. To and grow. I'm getting the opportunity. Yeah. So that, that was, that's, I think, is, is these days the biggest challenge that women and, and minorities face as they try to climb the, the ladder yeah. um, in corporate America is that they don't, they just don't get, you know, opportunities. Wow. Um, I read recently, um, uh, I forget which, which book it was, but um, it was this, this analysis of discrimination in today's world. You know, we think of discrimination as something, something bad, mm -hmm. like something that bad, that bad actions that are done to, um, to certain people. But today's, that's not true today. You know, nobody, well, there might be few, but, you know, unfortunate, unfortunate individuals, but generally that's not the case. Today's discrimination is really about helping. It's about giving, you know, unfair opportunities in the form of help to people who fit our groups. Stereotype, yeah. Yeah. So, so it's, as you said, it's, it's a, it's an extra assignment here. It's a, a nudge in the right direction there. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's as simple it's as... It's the rating. It's wow. even the rating. We found that today in high potential programs in U.S. companies, there are twice as many men than women. So, yeah. and organizations are very open and vocal about the fact that they invest significantly more resources in building high potential employees and developing them, fast tracking them into executive positions. Wow. And they're, they're for every, every um, man uh, or for every woman that they grow and they invest in, they're investing in, into men. Wow. So as people are going through Pinside, is that uh, the name, the gender, all that kind of stuff irrelevant or, or, or hidden behind the other results and strengths and areas that they're talking about. And then from the answers, from the data, then we can flow that back to the, the candidate, the person. Yeah. So uh, in our right, case, cool. so there, 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 there are tests. So, yeah. so you fill out tests that are, you know, pure ability type of, you know, personality tests. Um, but then we actually place you in a simulation. Um, mm. So we put you, if you're applying for a vice president position, we put you in a, people have a role in a fictitious company. And then we have third-party independent raters who are trained specifically to watch certain behaviors. Mm. Um, and those are the ones that are evaluating you. And you're being evaluated in a standardized situation by three independent raters. Cool. And then that's combined combined then with the, uh, with the personality uh, learning agility test. Wow. What a fantastic service. That's, that is so very, very cool. And as you said, it's, uh, it's focusing on the ability rather than the person and putting the right person into the role. Um, exactly, yeah. It's, it's the blind auditions for leadership. I love it. Yep, it's so absolutely. Great. It's great. Martin, thanks, man. You're amazing. Um, Thank you. Hey, everyone, it's Walt, and thanks so much for listening to the episodes on the podcast. We really love bringing these interviews to you, and I hope you're getting a lot out of them. We've designed the podcast to really help and to engage with everybody out there, so you could help us by simply leaving us a comment or a review, subscribing, on iTunes. Head over there now. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and leave a review for us. It helps more than you could possibly believe. Do that now. And we look forward to seeing you on the next episode.